Hey guys, real quick before we get started, we are doing a free giveaway for listeners between now and May 31st. Cash prizes, free swag, Yacht Meetup tickets, San Diego Padre tickets, and more. All you got to do to qualify is go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star review. Send a screenshot to giveaway at summerscapital.com and we'll be selecting lucky winners May 31st. As always, I appreciate the support. Now let's jump into the show. I was like, why would I want a rental property that makes $200 a month? Why wouldn't I just flip it and make 25000 This makes no sense. And they're like, you don't get it, Ryan. You got to have long-term wealth. And I was like, no, I, like, I can build long-term wealth any, at any point. Like, I don't need to do it today, you know? And that's why when people ask me, they'll say, do you regret selling any of your flips? Like, do you wish you had held them? I'm like, no. Yeah. Like, I had to flip them to make money <laughs> and, and build a life. And then, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to buy thousands of rentals the rest of my life now because of what I did. Welcome to the Rich Summers Report, where we talk real estate, business, and wealth building, all while keeping it real. No fluff, no BS. I hope that you enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of The Report. Today, we are not in San Diego, but I am sitting in a really nice podcast set here in Las Vegas. I just finished recording on his show. I got my man, Ryan Pineda. Ryan, welcome to the show. Happy to be here, dude. Yeah, man. Uh, pleasure to finally connect in person. I know we've been uh, chatting uh, on Instagram for about six months now, and um, it's finally uh, it's good to con- connect in person, man. I got your tour, your your office out here, and dude, impressive uh, setup you got, man. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on over here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, with all your stuff going on, man, tell us uh, what you've been up to today. Today, uh, dude, I just filmed some podcasts today. That's all I did today. Um, but no, and every week's different. Yeah, you know, people are coming in and out, different business meetings, different, you know, amazing guests that we get to have on the show. Um, we're always launching new products and new companies, acquiring businesses, buying more real estate. Like there's just always something going on, dude. Yeah. Yeah. You get the live events now. Um, there's always an event. <laughs> yeah. What, what projects are you most excited for right now? Um, I was just telling you about it. Uh, the, the newest thing we just launched, we did a, a webinar for it, um, yesterday actually it was, uh, the brand blueprint. So you know, just really helping entrepreneurs build their personal brand right now and, you know, showing them the power of a podcast, as you know, and how much it can really help them. Yeah. Uh, how long ago was it when you started putting out content? I, you know, I tell people it was COVID, but the reality was I officially started in 2016. You know, I would just post on Facebook, like write a little blog type deal and show some before and afters of some house flips I was doing. And, you know, that alone just making maybe like one post a week, uh, got me deals. It got me investors and allowed me to just kind of grow. Um, yeah. but I would say I really started taking con, like I called myself a content creator in 2020 during COVID. That was when I realized I was like, wow, this is the future. People don't get it. I need to go all in on this right now. What was it about that moment in time in 2020 that made you realize you wanted to go all in? Because looking back, it's like, man, everyone was at home. There was the pandemic. Everyone was on lockdown. And so in terms of getting eyeballs, I don't think that you would have picked a better spot. There was not a better point in time. And I, I literally understood everything you just mentioned as I looked at the situation. And, you know, the thing was, I never really watched content. Like I didn't watch YouTube. I didn't really listen to that many podcasts. And it just wasn't a thing for me. 
Um, I understood social media was important. It's not like I didn't know it was important, but I didn't realize the power of long form content and what these guys were doing over there. You know, I was just on Instagram. And so it was just like, Mm -hmm. all right, you know, I post some stories and a picture of me. There was no reels or anything. And that was just me. But, you know, as time went on, I saw TikTok coming up and I was like, wow, this TikTok thing, if I don't even like watching content and this TikTok thing is super addictive, which it was, and I was like, this is going to take off. And so I got really good at making TikToks first. And, you know, my TikTok, I remember in 2020, I got, I think like, how much was it? Like 100,000 followers in three months. Wow. It was crazy. And there was nobody making content in the real estate space on TikTok. Like everybody thought I was an idiot. They're like, why are you on some kid's platform like (laughs) doing this? You know, aren't you flipping all these houses? Which I was, I was flipping, I had 50 flips going on, but I knew it was going to blow up. I just had so much confidence in it. And, you know, at the same time too, I knew YouTube was important after like really studying it and understanding like, wow, this is just a search engine. and man, if you make good content, you'll grow. What was your mindset back then though? Were you thinking, you know, cause like for a lot of content creators, um, you know, myself included, it's like, okay, well we're raising money for our fund. We have a lot of different uh, areas to where we can bring in revenue. So I know putting out content benefits the business in those, in those ways. But for you back in 2020, were you thinking strategically like, Hey, I'm going to put up this content so I can bring in more revenue or were you more just like thinking, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to grow the brand because I know it's going to pay off down the road. It was both. Um, I knew for my local house flipping business, it wasn't going to really do anything. Right. Um, and I already had established everything locally that I needed to. So I knew it wasn't going to help there. Um, at that time I really wasn't doing coaching. Um, I just started kind of getting into it, you know, in 2019, I made like 50 grand coaching, you know, it wasn't anything. 2020, I made 700 grand all because of content. And, you know, at the end of the day, I just knew like, okay, if I make really good videos about real estate investing, housing, people will go to that. I also had a tax firm. So I knew people would go to that. Eventually after that year, I got into capital raising. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I know that I'm going to raise capital for syndications. And you know, and then I opened up a bunch of other businesses as time went on. And so I knew it was going to do that. But also one of the big things that stuck out to me was at that time in 2020, there was all these guys, um, that are friends of mine now, like Graham Stephan and meet Kevin. And they were the, like the guys in the business space, Hormozy and those guys didn't exist yet. Um, and you know, Cardone was obviously on and everything else, but like, Those guys like Graham and Kevin and some other people, they were to me like the new generation of like content creators. You know, I don't think Grant Cardone would ever call himself like a content creator. You know, he just is a business guy who basically markets. He's a great marketer. What I saw from them was something different. I saw that they were making content as the primary business. Mm. And you know, they, I remember they did a video one day talking about how much they were making just from YouTube AdSense and sponsors. And it was mind blowing. I mean, Graham was making hundreds of thousands a month. Kevin at one point, I think was making like over a million a month. And I'm thinking, I got like 50 house flips going on all this risk running a real business, like right. managing all this crap. This dude's out here with a camera by himself with no employees 
just making videos and making more. And, and just, some of these guys are cranking it without a big team. They had no, they're just they had no the team. They literally the had no team. Like yeah. Graham, Graham did not have a team. You know, Kevin was doing everything on his own and he prided himself on that. And um, I'm sitting there like, dude, that's like pure net profit. That's insane that they're putting up those kinds of numbers without even having a real business. You know, YouTube was their real business. And I was like, I ain't going to hate on that. It's freaking smart. And so I was like, I have to get in the YouTube game. So yeah, I knew it was going to benefit my business, but I knew too, there were other opportunities. Yeah. I mean, they say, uh, eyeballs is the new currency and yep. I don't think it's ever been more true than it is today. I mean, look at guys like Alex Ramosi. I mean, he just hit the scene what, a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. blew up, you yep. know, um, because we have access to all these different platforms. But, um, would you, would you say, because, you know, obviously you started in 2020, really taking the content seriously. And back then there wasn't a ton of people creating, especially in the real estate space. Yep. Would you say that it's a lot more competitive today? And how do you think that has kind of, uh, changed the way that you're approaching the content? I don't know that it's more competitive today. Um, I do think that maybe there's less eyeballs today on content than there was during COVID, right? Because like people, like you said, we're just watching content so much more. Like I remember a distinct, like after, everyone finally went back to work and stuff that, uh, you know, views and everything were dropping for everyone. And so that, that definitely was the case. I think 2020, 2021 early was just this like crazy time of, and same thing with real estate, right? Like Mm -hmm. it was just a crazy thing. And then it normalized. So I think in this normalized environment that we're at today, I don't think that it's any more competitive or anything like that, because the thing is, in all of business, whether it's content, people come and go, you know, people get burnt out. People have their ride doing it for a while. Like think about how many people have been truly on the social media game for like over five years, like that you would know. I mean, there's not many. I mean, Cardone is one of those guys. Gary Vee is one of those guys, but there's been many people who have come and go. Yeah, that's true. And and, and you could say that about a lot of different, you know, areas of business. Um, people tend to just by human nature, get into new things. And then once they realize that it takes a little bit of work to, in order to get good, it's not exciting anymore. They make that pivot. Yeah. And I think the key is just, you know, figuring out a way to find something that you're excited about enough to stick through it long enough to actually get decent at it. Yeah. I don't think it takes a whole lot of time to get good at something. I think if you're willing to be terrible at something for a hundred days straight, you're probably going to be better than most people at most things. But the problem is most people are not willing to get started. Yeah. I mean, let me tell you this. So, you know, back to the comp, the content competition, how many more people are out there trying to go do real estate deals versus make videos? I think there's way more people trying to do real estate. And I'm talking in the real estate space, right? Yeah. Out of all those people trying to get real estate deals, how many are truly trying to pursue making content? Less than 10%. Yeah. It's not much. Why do you think that is? There's a lot of reasons for it. Uh, fear, judgment, you know, they don't want to deal with any of that. Um, money, you know, they, they don't want to put up the money. They don't see the ROI in doing it. Um, I also think that, you know, yeah, those would actually be the two. I mean, it's just like you either fear that, you know, or you just don't see the ROI. So you don't put up the money. That's, that's really it. Yeah. I think, I think it's definitely those two and, and you were playing the long game. So if you don't see the ROI, you're not going to see the ROI right away. Yeah. And so you got to be consistent with it and it starts to pay dividends down the road. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I I think everything is kind of going that direction, but I also think it's the cheat code. If you can become a good real estate investor, 
and you're you can become decent and consistent at putting out content. I think it's a, a magic recipe. But I wanted to switch gears a little bit because I know you you grew up uh, playing baseball. Um, where did you grow up? What part of the country? Here, here in Vegas. Yeah, no way. I didn't know that. Yep. And you got drafted into uh, minor league baseball. Yeah. Who did you get drafted by? The Oakland A's. Oakland A's. Yep. What What was the highest level that you ever played? Um, high A. A lot of people um, don't real like they think there's only single A, double A, triple A. I mean, there's really six levels. There's like rookie ball, short season, low A, high A, double A, triple A. So basically, I guess the fourth highest. How much were you making? Uh, when I first got drafted, 1200 bucks a month. Wow. Only while I played. So six months out of the year, seven grand a year. Wow. And then uh, how do you, where were you guys living? <laughs> Did you guys have like crash pads? <laughs> Everywhere you could imagine. Um, my first year, well, I would say most of the time I was in pro baseball, I had what's called a host family. And so you go live with, you know, um, this family that the team has already selected and they've got a home. And in some cases you pay rent, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month to them. In other cases, they're cool and they don't really care. And you just live there. Um, I've also lived in apartments. And in most cases, the team sets up the apartments, but like, I'll tell you my first full season, you know, we were in Burlington, Iowa and it was a two bedroom apartment. Four of us were living there. Um, three of us were in one room. One person was in the other room cause it was like one big room and one tiny room. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just such a crappy apartment and we were paying like, I don't know, 300 bucks a person or something. Wow. So this is six months out of the year. How many games are you guys playing in a season? 140. Wow. Yeah. And cause I, I follow, you know, all these different sports. I'm a, a season ticket holder for the Padres. There you go. And so they're always bringing people up and then they're calling back down as people get hurt. Yep. But in minor league baseball, you got to get to the triple A level before the next level is the major leagues. Is that right? It's rare. Some people will jump from double A to the big leagues, but yeah, usually you're going to go hit every level. Yeah. And so the level that you're playing at, the guys are just trying to get to that next level, which is the, you said is the one A. Yeah. From where I was at double A would have been the next level. Yeah. What was that, I don't know, I guess, mindset for you to where you first realized, you know what, maybe I'm going to go a different path because, you know, obviously you're in real estate investing now, you're in entrepreneurship, but that probably wasn't always the case when you got into pro baseball, right? If you are a busy professional and don't have time to invest in real estate, but still want to participate in the passive income and tax benefits, my team, Summers Capital, is buying a lot of boutique hotels right now. We source the deals. We renovate the properties and we even do all the day-to-day management, making it truly hands-off for investors. If you want to learn more to see if we can help you, go to summerscapital.com slash invest to book a call with our team. Again, that's summerscapital.com slash invest. Now back to the show. Hey guys, real quick, the only way this podcast grows is if you guys share it and review the show. So if you do find value, if you could take two seconds and drop a five-star on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, it would mean the world to me. But more importantly, it will help us reach new audiences and help more people build wealth through real estate investing. No, I had no desire to do real estate or business or anything. All I wanted to do is play baseball. Um, you know, I got my real estate license in 2010, the same year I got drafted. So, you know, I've been in real estate a long time now, over a decade. And I only got my license just to make money in the off season. It was the only career I saw that I could actually work my own schedule, you know, do what I want, train, practice things that were important to me, and then maybe sell a house here or there. And, you know, in 2010, it was literally the worst time to be a realtor. You know, realtors complain about now with rates and they were complaining in the last couple of years because there's no inventory. But 
Try selling a house in 2010. What was, was the medium uh, home price in Vegas back then? That, that's the point. It was a hundred thousand. Oh my gosh. What so, is it today? Like four or 50. Yeah. Yeah. So like for one, there was no buyers because everybody had just went BK or whatever. Two, uh, getting a loan was really hard. Three, even if I did sell something, <laughs> I was going to make 2,500 bucks. So it was just a brutal time to be a realtor. Yeah. I so can, I hated it. I can imagine. So uh, from there, where did you transition? Well, so what happened was, you know, after my third season with Oakland, um, you know, I'm in spring training the next year, it's 2013. And they call me in the office and basically like, bro, you're released. And it's very difficult, you know, when you're 23, 24 years old to like be told you're no longer good enough. Um, it was a gut punch, dude. And what position were you playing? Second base. Okay. And they're basically like, we could try and link you up with some of these other independent teams. And I was like, nah, dude, I'm done. I'm done with baseball. And so, you know, I go home also during this time I'm engaged. And so, you know, I'm getting ready to get married and all these things. And I'm literally at a point in my life where I have nothing because I had no money from baseball. Um, I had already failed as a realtor those years. I hated it. Um, I was literally substitute teaching, making $90 a day to like make money. And that was where my life was at. And I was engaged trying to figure out what to do. Um, long story short, I ended up continuing to play that season. A team called me, not a, a, ma- a major league team, but a different type of team called independent baseball. And I continued my career. And, you know, had fun. I always loved baseball. It was never about the money. I knew that there could be a big payday at the end, but Mm -hmm. I would have just played baseball for fun forever. Is your fiance at the time, was she working too? No, No. she was in college. So this is like your sole basically source of income was a little bit of real estate on the side and then baseball. Not even real estate at that point because I'd failed and I'd quit and I just uh, was substitute teaching for 90 bucks a day. Wow. So I'd make 1200 bucks a month in baseball, then I'd make 90 bucks a day in the off season if I felt like working. So literally I had no money and I was cool with like, I honestly, I, I make it sound bad and it, I guess in hindsight it was bad, but I didn't feel like it was bad. I just was like, whatever. I didn't care about money. And so, you know, I ended up going and playing, um, a season in Texas and, you know, I come back, I get married you know, with no money <laughs> and, um, <laughs> at we, the courthouse. Yeah. We get married and my wife's still in college, you know? And so she has student loans. She's not making any money. And, uh, it was kind of like that reality check of like, what am I going to do? You know, we love each other. And obviously she didn't marry me for the money. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was like, how do I be a provider now? Like I'm a husband I'm 24 years old. You know, my wife had just turned 21 and truthfully, this is kind of embarrassing. But like, we were like, yeah, you know, when you're done, um, she, she was going to school to be a teacher. We are like, you're going to be making 40K a year. We're going to get health benefits. I didn't have insurance. And, you know, like that's going to be our stable income. It's going to be amazing. And we were both pumped for that. <laughs> um, I, I swear. And I just remember like, we got married. It was October. And by the way, we're about to celebrate our 10 year this October. Congratulations. Thank man. you. Thank you. And what's your wife's name? Mindy. Mindy. Yep. Congrats, so, Mindy. Yeah, we made it. You know, we get married and I furnished the apartment. I furnished it for a thousand bucks on Craigslist. And I furnished it from the money we got from um, wedding gifts and stuff. 
And so I furnished it, bought all these couches and beds and stuff. And I was like, just looking at it one day, I was like, man, I got good deals on that. Cause I was always a good negotiator. I, you know, and I was also a hustler. Like I would flip cell phones and flip crap on the side. I was like, what if like I just bought furniture and flipped it? It just occurred to me that maybe I could make money doing that. And so I tested it. I went and bought a couch and I brought it back to the house. And my wife was like, what the heck are you doing with a couch? Like we already have a couch. I was like, I think I'm going to make money doing it. And so I relisted on Craigslist and mark it up, made 200 bucks. I was like, dude, that was way easier than substitute teaching for six hours. That took me like two hours of work. I was like, what if I just bought a couch every day? That'd be 6,000 bucks a month. That was my mentality. Mm. And, you know, sure enough, that's what happened. I just started buying couches. I got a storage unit and it became like my first business. And it was like my first success. And I'll tell you, like I, I grew it to, you know, eight grand a month net. And I was like, dude, we're rich. We've made it. And I would have been like pretty happy just making eight grand doing that. What was the key back then to finding the, the best couch to flip? <laughs> Speed. That was it. Like it literally had nothing to do with condition or anything like that. It's just, I would, there was no AI or bots like there is today. Like I've taught couch flipping now and like to see what these guys are doing is kind of crazy with all the tech. But back then, I literally- like professionals out there doing it right now, like strategically. Oh yeah. Because that was my first viral video. Mm. I made a couch flipping video and it went viral. It got millions and millions of views everywhere. And people like us, I am now the couch flipping like, uh, freaking Mount Rushmore. Dude, and you should have trademarked it or something. I should have. <laughs> but like these people are telling me, they tell me all the time, like, dude, I'm making 10 grand a month, 20 grand a month. That's... Like it's crazy. And um, they've told me about different tools they're using and Chrome extensions and notifications and auto offers, same kind of things we use in real estate. So it's cool now. But back then, um, all I would do is I would sit on the couch, I'd watch TV and I would refresh Craigslist every 30 minutes. That was, that was my business. And then if a new couch popped up that looked interesting, I'd text them a lowball offer. And I said, I'll pick it up right now, right this moment. And most people are like, come get it. Like, I'm so happy to get rid of this. And so I'd go pick it up like on the dime, bring it back, take pictures of it. Literally just the same couch, relist it 20 minutes later. Just better photos. Yeah. Better photos. And then I would offer free delivery. Mm -hmm. I'd say, Hey, I'll deliver this for free. That's huge. And that was the business. Wow. Did you ever get stuck with a couch that you couldn't sell? No. Um, I had bed bugs one time, so I threw it away, but you know, I've lost money on couches. Like I, I in- inevitably got rid of it, but yeah. you know, but it's a numbers game. Yeah. You win on nine, you lose on one. Not That's even. It. I went on 99 <laughs> for real. Like it's, it's really hard to lose. What's the most you ever made on one couch? I think it was like seven or 800. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It's like some freaking massive sectional that was like, dude, you know, it's the crazy thing is, you know, now I have like that couch you're sitting on. It's, it's so dumb to me thinking about what it costs compared to, uh, dude, this is a nice couch. What do you think it costs? I'm going to say three grand. Yeah. It was something like that. Right. That couch on Craigslist might sell for like 300 bucks. Right. Yeah. And I might've been able to sell it for four to 500, you know, it's just like, that's the game. So like, I feel bad for these people that buy these super luxe couches and they just don't, they're not really worth anything. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if people flip other furniture like beds and. Oh yeah. I did that too. uh, Tables and chairs. So I did, I flipped everything. Did I flipped appliances, beds, table. The the couch is the one that went viral. Yeah. Well, no, what happened was I did it all. 
And so I literally bought anything and everything that I thought I could make a buck on. And so after doing it for months, I started to identify couches had the best margin. Tables and everything else were also very hard to transport and not like scratch up and everything. Like couch, you could freaking abuse it. <laughs> Nobody gives a crap. And I used to do them by myself. And people were like, how the heck did you do it by yourself? So I made a YouTube video. I go, literally, I'll show you what I did. And so, you know, I'd, I had a pickup truck and I would just put the corner on there. I'd go on the other side, lift it up, push it in, and then I'd strap it and it was done. And then when I'd get to the house, I would, I wouldn't tell them, but I'd get there. I'd be like, Hey, can you help me load this into your house? And so we would carry it together into their house. But like when I got a couch for pickup, you know, we would load it. I'd have the owner help me load it. And then when I got to the storage unit, I literally just freaking dragged that couch, like just across the asphalt you know, on its feet. Like you would never know. How would you deal with people, uh, trying to lowball you? Cause I'm sure that happened all the time. You would be surprised, dude. I mean, we're real estate investors. And so like, we assume that everybody's like us and we mm-hmm. lowball and whatever people aren't like that. Really? No. Cause Most I, people- I sold a couple like, like used cars when I was like younger, like low, low, like I, my first car was a grand Cherokee. And car- I remember I had like 200,000 miles on yeah. it. I remember selling it for like maybe it's like 3,500 bucks. Yeah. yeah. But like, I remember putting it on Craigslist and the people that showed up were like, Hey, I got two grand cash and that's all I have. I think cars are a little different. I mean, you were a car sales guy. So, you yeah. know, like people expect to negotiate cars, um, with, with what I was doing on couches because I was offering free delivery. The picks weren't like, you, you just looked at it and people, I would say four out of five people were like, yes or no. They would just maybe ask a question like, are there any stains or rips? And as long as it's good, they're like, I'm good. Um, maybe then one, at, one out of five would be like, you know, can I, can you knock off a hundred bucks? And I'd say, no. Would you negotiate on the buy side though? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would offer on everything and yeah. I'd, I'd literally offer freaking 50 bucks. I always say, I'm like, man, you don't get what you don't ask. Yeah. What's the worst they can say is no. Yeah. You know? No, I, so what I didn't know from couch flipping was how much it was going to prepare me for business because at that point I'd never really been a business guy. And I literally flipped a thousand couches. So you think about that. I negotiated a thousand times. Transactions. Yeah. And I lowballed 10,000 people mm-hmm. <laughs> to get those, that, whatever the stats were. And so I got very comfortable just making offers, talking to strangers, going in people's houses. You know, I became pretty fearless. And by the time like I got into house flipping, you know, a couple of years later, I just didn't give a crap. I was like, Oh, so I just make offers. That's easy. <laughs> Hello ball. I don't care what an agent says to me. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people, I'm like the number one skill you can learn is sales. And so for me, you know, growing up, I got into, you know, selling cell phones at the mall. I was the guy at the kiosk, basically slanging cell phones. This is before everyone had cell phones. So yeah. people would come back from like deployment and they'd be like, Hey, I need four cell phones for myself, my wife and my two kids. And they yeah. would walk away with like four brand new razor phones. Right. And then I got into car sales, but it's like those skills that I learned getting the reps in, talking to people, negotiating and closing deals are paying dividends today. And so I always tell people, I'm like, man, the number one skill you can learn is sales, whether you're a bartender, a server, anything in retail or hospitality, like it's all sales. Yeah. hundred percent. I, and you're always selling yourself to someone, right? Like I got to sell myself to my wife every day. Like, (laughs) For real, you can't just become a bum and expect that your marriage is going to be good. Like, I got to show her that, like, I am worthy and, like, I'm improving. And, you know, uh, especially too, it's like, where are we going to go eat? 
you know, it's a sell mm-hmm. where, you know, what, where were we going to vacation? You know, you're, you're either selling and unknowingly. I don't, I don't have kids, but I'm sure like even raising kids, it's like, you know, if you ask your kid to clean up the room before they go out and play oh my gosh. and they're like, no, I'm going to go play first. It's like your kid just sold you. No, my, yeah. My daughter is three years old and she negotiates. Like I have to Does negotiate she? with her. I'm like, Olivia, you got to go to bed. No. And I'm like, <laughs> we have to go to bed. She's like, no. And I'll be like, all right, Olivia, tomorrow when we wake up, you know, we're going to turn on Moana or whatever, right when you wake up, she'd be like, okay. And then, so like, she got me, she just sold me. She's, she had to go to bed. She had no leverage yet. Now she gets to go watch Moana in the morning. I had to make a deal. Yeah. It's literally everything. And, and and you could argue dating as well. Oh yeah. For sure. Um, but yeah, I would say that's number one skill that you can learn. So from there, you jump in the real estate investing, you're doing flipping. Why was it, what was it about flipping that caught your attention? Because with real estate, there's hundreds of ways to make money, but why'd you pick house flipping? You know, I was praying about it and, you know, I was on our one year anniversary with my wife and, you know, couch flipping had been successful. So I was super grateful for where we were at. Um, but at the same time, I wasn't fulfilled by it. I'm like, this is cool, but I don't even tell people what I do because it's kind of embarrassing. Um, so you know, I was praying and I just kind of heard God like whispering to me, real estate. And at that point I had already given up on real estate. I sucked at it. And well, I sucked at it as a realtor, I should say. And then I see this TV commercial about real estate investing. Like, Hey, you can flip with no money down and all this stuff. And I'm like, BS, like I've been in the game, but you can't buy houses with no money. That makes no sense. And sure enough, I just felt like God pushing me to like look more into it. So I get on Google and I start searching. I'm like, how do you flip houses with no money? And then this website, Bigger Pockets, pops up. And I'm like, what the heck is this? And so I go on the forums and I'm looking at stuff. And, you know, I see they got books and I end up buying a book by Brandon Turner. And, you know, it's how to buy houses with like uh, low and no money down. I'm like, all right, let's see what I don't know. And <laughs> I read this book literally on our anniversary you know, in a day. And I was like, holy crap. Like I could do that. There's literally hard money lenders. There's private lenders. There's wholesale. They don't teach you this in realtor school. So I was like, I'm flipping houses, freaking screw these couches. Like I, I kept doing it. Cause that was how we made money. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I know I can flip houses. I've, I know what houses are worth. Like I knew that with real being a realtor, I just didn't like clients. But if I'm the client, I know I'll get deals. And so yeah, I came back and I was attracted to it from the beginning because dude, when you're broke, buying rental properties is stupid. Like these people who try to like build their portfolio, but they have no money and they're broke. I'm like, why? Like the most important thing you could do today is like fix your current situation. Start making some active income. Don't worry about the long game right now. And so that's, that was my mindset. I'm like, let's flip, let's make some active income. And I'll worry about buying rentals down the road. Yeah, I agree with you there, man. I feel like uh, like Bigger Pockets pushes a lot of this stuff. It's like, yeah, hey, getting real estate investing, it's all about the passive income, financial independence, you know, uh, reduce your expenses and 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 go retire and live on the beach because you got a few properties and they're gonna they're gonna pay for your living expenses. But it's like, dude, uh, you're gonna get bored pretty quick. One, but number two is like, dude, how many properties are you going to need to buy and sink 20% into yeah, in order to kind of reach that? Where do you get the 20%? Yeah. You know, like, but even for me, you know, I think it was 25 or 26 years old when 
I was 25 when that happened. And I started listening to the podcast because I'd never understood this. And it was very early on. So I started from episode one and I caught up. So that was my training. I would literally pick up and deliver couches all day and listen to the podcast. And so I listened about like three or four podcasts a day while I was. And so I learned in a month. I caught up in a month and I was like, I get it. But I also don't agree with these people mm. um, because, you know, they'd have a lot of rental guys and multifamily guys and all this stuff. And I just remember sitting there thinking as a guy who didn't have much money, I was like, why would I want a rental property that makes $200 a month? Why wouldn't I just flip it and make 25000 This makes no sense. And they're like, you don't get it, Ryan. You got to have long-term wealth. And I was like, no, I like. I can build long-term wealth any, at any point. Like I don't need to do it today, you know? And that's why when people ask me, they'll say, do you regret selling any of your flips? Like, do you wish you had held them? I'm like, no. Yeah. Like I had to flip them to make money <laughs> and, and build a life. And then, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to buy thousands of rentals the rest of my life now because of what I did. Dude, you're so right about that. And I think the perfect example is, is this for the listeners. It's like, you know, if, if you buy a property, you improve the value and now you had a million dollars of equity, you can sell this property and take a million dollar profit. Or let's say this property would cash flow, let's say $50,000 a year and you can hold it long term. And people are like, oh, like, why are you going to sell it? Why don't you just hold it and take the $50,000 of cash flow? It's like, well, I can sell and take the million dollar profit if I cash flow this thing, it would take me 20 years of 50,000 a year in cash flow just to break even. Bro, so dumb. Think about that. 20 years is a long time, man. Well, let me add another point to this is I get a lot of people who ask me, they're like, well, what about my taxes? I need to buy rentals to lower my taxes. I'm like, you don't make money. Why are you worried about your taxes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're like, um, I paid 10 grand last year. I'm like, dude, let, <laughs> let's worry about your active income. If you paid 10 grand last year, you have, you don't have a tax problem. Right. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So it's like figure out a way to increase the active income. And then once you're paying a lot of taxes, then start parking the money into some of these properties, start holding them long term, then yeah. build it that way. But I think there's always like a balancing act. Well, I think like even for a guy like me, I've learned to just follow what I intuitively believe. And it's always served me pretty well. You know, it's like when I was playing baseball, um, people are like, dude, you got to like go figure out how to make more money. And I'm like, no, nah, dude, I'm just this is a once in a lifetime thing. Like once my career's over, it's over. I'll make money. I'll figure it out. Like I don't need to make it today. And you know, I start flipping and people think I'm crazy because I max out all my credit cards and I get these high interest loans and I'm buying homes in the ghetto. And literally my mom, who was a realtor, was like, don't do that. I'd go to meetups and people are like, dude, don't do that. Like you got to buy in the nice areas. And I'm like, I don't know, dude, I'm looking at the numbers. It, it checks out to me. And so, you know, I did it. And truthfully, um, I was probably one of the first guys here in Vegas to really take advantage of that. And then other people started copying, but that's a whole nother story. Um, then, you know, the social media thing, I'm starting TikTok and all this stuff and just doing it. And people are like, shouldn't you be out closing deals? Shouldn't you be? I'm like, I don't know. I think this thing's going to be pretty big. And so it's like, I've kind of always just gone against conventional wisdom and everything I've done. Because if it makes sense to me, and nobody can give me a good reason why my logic, you know, doesn't make sense, then I'm just going to do it. Yeah. I think, yeah, I experienced the same thing, like just 
through all the steps that I took to get to, you know, where I'm at today is like cashing out the 401k to buy my first deal. Yeah. People to say you're everyone, dumb. Everyone, everyone told me it was, I was crazy. Yeah. Uh, coworkers, friends, e- even some family thought I was crazy. I'm like, dude, they would outline all the risk. Um, and then it was like, okay, then I went to start raising money. People are like, why are you doing that? That's risky. So like, what do you, what do you tell those folks out there that, you know, are trying to learn something new, but they got family members and friends telling them it's too risky. Yeah. I mean, look, my mom did the same thing. My friends did the same thing. Um, and also too, man, I'm so grateful where the world is today, where there are communities where you can be a part of that think like you, you know, it's like, you know, we've had thousands of students in our coaching programs and like, you know, you, you get these like-minded people who are like, no, you're not crazy, dude. Like I'm doing that and it's working and it brings you encouragement. It brings you, you know, confidence and everything else. So my, my first suggestion would be to get into some kind of community with like-minded people. Um, second thing would be, look, if you have an actual plan that, you know, has been proven time and time again by others, you know, have confidence in following it, right? Like now if you're trying something completely out of the box that you've never heard before or done before, you have no idea if it's going to work, like, all right, well, it is a gamble. Um, not saying it won't work, but it's much easier to follow a system. Yeah. I completely agree, man. It's like getting plugged into the right groups is huge because you might go to a family member and they might say, wow, that deal is way too big. It's way too risky. But then you plug into the right group and that person might say, hey, you're thinking too small. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that deal's risky to you. It's yeah. a freaking walk in the park. Are you, are you plugged into uh, masterminds like other, other people's masterminds? Well, I know you got uh, a few of your own. Yeah. Um, I'm a part of your wealthy creator mastermind, but, um, are you a part of other groups as well? Yeah. I've been in, um, collective genius for a while. And what's that one? It's a real estate mastermind. Um, I forget what the requirements are, but, um, you know, you gotta be doing a certain amount of deals or units and, and things like that. And I've been there for a few years and met some amazing people who have helped my business for sure. Um, I'm also part of a, a group called YPO, which is an entrepreneur mastermind. Well, I shouldn't even say entrepreneur, just business. And uh, that's probably honestly the biggest and most influential mastermind in the world. From a networking standpoint? Yeah, because like, I don't even know how much I'm allowed to talk about it, but it's big. Um, So that one's, that one's very huge. Um, You know, I think we were talking about development earlier. It's like, you know, I had a development like idea and I just put it in like the, 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 literally the worldwide real estate group. And I had like six people reach out like, Oh yeah, we developed this freaking billion dollar resort that like I'm, I did it. And I'm like, okay, so we'll just talk about it. He's like, yeah, hit me up when, whenever you want to talk about it. Actually, that's why I'm going to San Diego. One of those guys is out there mm. and what's his name? I can't say it. Okay. Here. But, um, yeah, I'm just like, this is crazy. So yeah, masterminds have helped me a lot. And you know, I've been in a bunch of other things too. Yeah. I, I feel like I feel you there, man. 